but let's consider them. Let's consider all the people that we need to influence. There will be those that perhaps are in the room with us. There'll be those indirectly. There may be they're on another location. We have to factor in the entire stakeholder group in our change journey ahead. We have to consider that there might be unions involved, upper management, temporary resources, contingent labor. As a change manager, we need to be able to read our stakeholder landscape so we make the appropriate decisions at the right time. Not knowing who your stakeholders are and really understanding them, you are blindsiding yourself. You are second guessing your audience. And what will tend to occur if you don't address this is people will silently start to disengage. As the name suggests, about them is our outward view in terms of our stakeholders. In the course so far, we've looked at leadership, we've looked at ourselves inwardly and how we reflect ourselves externally. In this lecture, we're gonna look at them and them can be any stakeholder that is directly or indirectly part of the change journey ahead. As cliche as it might sound that an organization is a system made of people, it is often overlooked and sometimes forgotten in our conversations with our stakeholders. We get buried in talking about business systems, IT systems, processes, organizational charts, dollars, cost, revenue, you name it. But it's really important to remind yourself and others that if no one or no person existed in the organization, everything would stop in probably within a minute of taking the people out. So remember, an organization is a system made of people. The effectiveness of that system, however, is up to you and the change ahead. Okay, when we look at them or consider the stakeholders of the organization, and that is at any level, whether it's down at the operational level, the most senior executives, perhaps the board, customers, suppliers, we need to be reminded that people are all human. They have feelings and their own lives. While we might have a manager that comes across as being very abrasive, we need to be mindful that behind the scenes, they may have a struggle or they might be holding down a second job. They might have family issues or whatever. So being reminded that they are human also counters back to the fact that we care. We never judge anyone in terms of how they express their humility, because again, we don't know. We've got to be reminded that people, they all contribute something. They all have a purpose. As a change leader, getting to understand what that purpose is and maybe broadening it or giving that purpose more focus to actually address the change ahead is some of the funnest parts about being a change leader. But remember, Every single person contributes something of value to an organization. People come to work for many reasons. And some of you may have heard or have seen studies that say that money is only one driver. Satisfaction in one's job or one's ability. The satisfaction of completion. Feeling of belonging, part of a team. Are many reasons why people come to work. People wish to belong. Being part of a team is a privilege and as a change leader when we go into an organization 
keep an eye out for how these teams work together socially and during the work effort. At lunchtime, are people sitting together? Before and after work, are people entering and leaving the building together? That sense of belonging is not just another cliche, it's a very important part of being a human being. People want to be respected as well. Again, they've got knowledge, they've got ideas, and that knowledge can be made up of experience and insight. Understanding through listening and playing it back and being mindful and respectful that they have knowledge and ideas, you will find that the organization will be inspired to contribute to the change, innovation will naturally start to occur, and value will start to come out of your discussions. People want to feel safe. There is a famous piece of work done by Abraham Maslow in the early 1900s that talks about the hierarchy of needs. People like to have food and shelter. They like to be rewarded. They like to feel how they contribute to life, family, the world, right up through to self-actualization. I recommend that you take a look at the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's. It's a very good way to understand how people feel safe and how one can reinforce that in your change journey. People want to be heard. Everyone can contribute, allow them to, ask the questions, challenge some of those questions, pull the questions apart, bring people together to ask a similar question and see how they collaborate together to land on a statement that reflects the current state or perhaps a future state. And they want to be acknowledged. Now, people like to be recognized and recognition shouldn't be confused with reward. As a change leader, periodically as we move through the journey, there's of course reporting and all the management um, elements that go with a change journey. But along the way, call out people that gave you that insight. Call out people that provided you that file or that document to help you plan your change. That small element of recognition and acknowledgement will go a long way. There are many similarities across different organizations. And one is how we think and some of our assumptions. Every single organization takes demand from stakeholders and through its processes, its IP, its capability and its capacity, it delivers some form of value. That value may be a product, a service, or a bit of both. But when we talk about value, we're actually talking about why we are doing something. We are doing something for a customer, an external customer, and as we mature in our thinking, it will also be for an internal customer. But focusing on value will actually shift our thinking from cost, task, and effort through to deliverable outcome, value. This is an important piece of being a change leader because being a change manager, again, you're looking at the logical steps of change. When you're a change leader, you're considering that transition and to transition a group of people or an organizational from one point A in a current state to a future state, 
you need to describe that end picture of value and what does good look like. We make so many assumptions of what customers want, but it's also what customers feel. It's the entire value proposition, both tangible and intangible. Now again, people will make key decisions um, for change, but if people are in the operational level of the organization and you're painting a new picture of the future and change, do they actually have the ability to take that change on for themselves? Are they empowered to make decisions during the change? There may have been a delegation of authority in existence for people in a particular area of the business, but during a change, that might not be effective and work. So we need to be mindful about how we may do something different. What is the process for decision-making? What are the inputs that people require? Now, we can talk about a process for decision-making and the rules that might go with it, but if we have a set of principles that we can articulate and bring out in the change, we're providing people with a mindset that enables them to create a decision that won't be wrong and it will take us a step in the right direction. When we put a lot of rules around decision-making, especially in change, in a way, we're limiting people's creativity and innovation. And that's why in brackets here, we've got a compliant culture versus an innovative culture. Now, depending on the industry, one might not have the latitude to go over to an innovative culture, but it is a false statement to say that you can't have innovation in a compliant culture or a compliant workplace, but people will seem to use that as an excuse from time to time. But in summary, come back to the value of why we exist, what we provide to a customer by way of product or service, make that the basis for your discussions, and you will find you will be able to bring people into an integrated discussion. Again, when we start to look at cost and revenue and tasking activity, people tend to find why they can't do something or the constraints. So again, changing the way we think, demand through to value. This slide is a graphical representation of the previous slide. It's quite logical, but what it's really saying is in the gray rectangle in the center is the organization. It has capability or skills to be able to produce an outcome. It has capacity, i.e. resources, either human or non-human resources, to do so, to deliver that capability. But it'll also have a degree of IP or something that makes it different and the value proposition for a client. It might be something of great features or it might be that demonstrated ability in the marketplace. And on the left-hand side, we have the market placing demand onto the organization and value coming out the other side. Again, doesn't matter whether it's a product or a service or a blend of both. When we're able to actually talk to our internal stakeholders and we start at the right in value and work back, all of a sudden, people are seeing things in a different light. The risk here is if you start with the element of capacity or capability, some people may see that as a constraint or an excuse 
not to participate in the change because they're seeing bound, um, barriers, if you like. But when you start with value at the end and then bring it back to demand, you can have a conversation centered around the integration of the business and you're really pointing people to a future state rather than holding individual functions at the current state. In this slide, I'm gonna pay credit to an individual by the name of Amy Cuddy. Amy appears on LinkedIn and TED Talks quite often, is an organizational psychologist, but she's come up in a book of hers um, under the name of Presence and actually highlighted that when one human being or one living creature comes and encounters another one, two questions are going through their mind. Can I trust this person? And do I respect this person? And I can summarize that as, will this person best represent me? And I can have faith that they won't do anything negative toward me. And if do I respect this person? And that could be, is this person a subject matter expert in the field that I'm in and they're in? But remember, you don't have to be a subject matter field in your audience's field of expertise. You just have to acknowledge the fact that you're an expert in your own because you're a great change leader. And again, psychologists refer to these two elements as warmth and competence, respectively. So when you are next talking to someone, and that might be a person you're meeting for the very first time, Consider the two questions. Can I trust this person and do I respect this person? And now equally, when you're meeting someone for the first time, think about what is going through their mind. Do they trust you? Do they respect you? Because as a change leader, once someone has got a view on you, it's very hard to change without a great effort of action. Trust is when others place confidence in you. They believe in you. Your influence is there. They trust you, so when you open up your mouth, you're thinking you've got action on them from yourself. They have confidence in everything you're doing. Trust is earned. Don't try to artificially inflict this sense of trust on people. Only they can do that. So allow time to build that relationship with them. The third point here, and it's so critical, we need to trust in others before we ask them to trust ourselves. When you walk into that room and you immediately go up to that stranger, you introduce yourself and immediately place them in a position of being that knowledge expert. You empower them to speak to share their experience. Wow, you've just elevated them. But the opposite to that is, if trust is lost, it can be very impossible to reclaim that. Now, a couple of elements to this is that when you first meet someone, first impressions last a long time. Be very mindful of that. But I think the other thing um, is very important is that as human beings, we have a tendency to remember negative things about people ahead of remembering positive things about people. This may be part of our fight and flight wiring from our ancestors 
but we really need to shift that around to remaining positive. Again, without trust, you can't lead. You can only manage. And with trust, you're always on the front foot versus when you're managing, you're typically on the back foot because you're moving away from pulling people to the finishing line, whereas management is almost pushing people to the finishing line. Trust is a key element for any change leader. Respect is another critical element of earning your stripes as a change leader. It's when people will value and listen to your opinion. And it's important to understand that opinion is not the same as advice. Opinion might be our assessment of a situation and we offer that opinion to open up and bring out discussion, whereas advice will often be interpreted as that's the answer. So as a, as a change leader, opinion opens up the minds to thinking and innovation where advice will shut down a conversation because it's a closed statement. Respect is others acknowledging our experience and insight. Now experience and insight doesn't necessarily have to be in a particular domain of knowledge. It can just be our life experiences and our craft of being a change leader and influencing change is really what people are acknowledging. And again, it's reaffirmed here in the next point that you don't have to be a subject matter expert in a particular field. And if you're not, you should declare that. And then that will also provide trust and respect in your ability to be truthful. And then depending on how you've positioned uh, the fact that you're not a subject matter expert, people are likely to assist you but you should never use the fact that you're not a subject matter expert as an excuse because people will lose respect in you very quickly. It's also when we take time to learn from others, when we ask those open questions, what does good look like? If you could change something in your workplace, what would it be? What value do you believe that you deliver to the organization and to the customer and what you do in the organization? When we ask questions like that and people sense that we're teasing out some of the undercurrents, themes and thinking of an individual, people will respect that because one, you're being a great change leader in drawing out some of these themes, but equally you are playing back the sense that in time their situation may improve because you've taken time to find out what their issues really are. And lastly, it's about exploring and understanding the environment in which change is going to happen and occur moving forward. Because if people sense that you understand what that looks like in terms of an environment, a pathway, a roadmap, they'll respect you and they're more likely to follow you. We touched on empathy earlier on in this lecture, but empathy really is being able to articulate how we see and understand and feel someone's particular role. And again, equally important, even if we're not an expert in that particular role, it's about building a conversation, getting people to focus on the value they're delivering. And what will generally happen is you'll end up having a conversation about what we can do as opposed to why we can't do. 
Empathy is about understanding the activities and the skills to support something. And that activity um, is a really critical consideration in terms of the change. So many times we get disconnected with the responsibilities of a person and we lose track of how an organization needs to support someone. So by, again, applying empathy, putting yourself in the mindset and the position and the environment of the person that you're engaging with, you may actually learn where there might be a deficiency in support for that particular role. And especially if someone's been in that role for a long time, they may be so normalized to their current environment, they can't ask that question of themselves or seek an alternative. And again, a good change manager or leader will be able to understand someone's view as it applies in the context or the environment or the situation that they're in. They don't just take it as a theoretical statement. They can actually understand it as it applies in the moment and again, the environment. And of course, in your mind, you are piecing together how to move it to a better future. Now, this lecture, we're going to finish on sympathy. Now, one would think that sympathy, when applied to someone, is quite humanitarian and helpful. Unfortunately, in change, it's a very dangerous element to juggle with. When we apply sympathy to someone or someone's environment, we are actually acknowledging, in a way, that things are negative, they're not right. As, and again, fine line here between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is when we logically can think about it. Sympathy is more when we feel and sense what's wrong with the situation. Now, there are times that sympathy may be of benefit to at least start a conversation. For instance, you might walk into a workplace and find out that someone's on crutches, they've injured themselves, or they've just had a loss in the family. Starting off with a discussion, acknowledging the fact that someone's not on their A-game because of an emotional event is okay. But never play to it, never allow others to use it, and you need to be seen as not using that as a way to influence them on that sympathetic vote. You really should only try to influence people on an empathetic understanding of where people sit in the organization okay so recapping this lecture we've looked at trust we've looked at respect empathy sympathy we've looked at how an organization is taking demand and through its processes its ip its capability its people and resources it's converting something to value but with all that said and done that's really good to gauge your audience in terms of change. But what is equally important from a change perspective is to list your stakeholders, understand who your stakeholders are. So in this exercise, I would encourage you just to spend 10 minutes, think about your organization, think about the change or the project or the environment that you're currently in and list your change supporters. Who, who would back what you were doing? Not necessarily who would put their hand above their head if you asked them, but who do you believe can be influenced or 
is already on the change journey. And then look at who might be a change resistor. So you're not recording this list down so you avoid these people. You're actually putting a list down here because in your mind, you are going to craft an approach to how you're going to influence these people. How you're going to gain that trust and respect in the eyes of these resistors. Are you going to apply an empathetic approach to a particular change resistor? About others, as the name suggests, is about everyone who is involved indirectly and directly with the change ahead. We need to be mindful of our stakeholders or our stakeholder groups. They may have suffered change fatigue, as many people call it, from something that may have occurred previously. There could be a lot of backstories to why people are resistant to change. But your big ticket item here to be successful in change is to listen and listen to your stakeholders. If they believe that you are listening and doing everything you can to factor in what they need and want in the change, you will be followed. If you simply take down a question and do not get back to them, you are typically a manager and unfortunately the change will not be successful and you will be placed on the back foot.